Attention is one of the fundamental goals of digital marketing. Having a clear strategy for capturing and holding attention in order that you can communicate your value and build relationships with the people who need what you provide is so important, but surprisingly hard. Many people resort to silly tactics to get attention. But when someone naturally captures your attention online and rapidly connects with you, it's very impressive. This week, my guest is Neen James, author of Attention Pays, How to Drive Profitability, Productivity and Accountability. And she's going to walk me through the attention matrix and so much more. Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the digital marketing entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every week I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new to the show, then take a second right now to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes and you can grab some older ones when you're done with this one. Don't forget as well, you can join my Facebook community. Just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. So welcome along and let's meet Neen. So this week, I am thrilled to welcome Neen James to the show. I I met Neen in a masterclass session with Chris Ducker the other day and lots of people talk about productivity and I nod my head. You, You brought me to school that was really really good so i thought you'd be an awesome guest to have on the show i think so many people have so much to learn from you so neen james why don't you start by telling us a little bit about who you are where you are and the kind of work you do i think we should first start out and acknowledge how much we adore chris ducker i mean the guy is a phenomenal expert on all things but it was such a privilege to meet you there For me, I grew up in corporate business in Australia, Bob. I worked in retail banking, telecommunications, and the oil industry. There's not a lot of chicks in oil in Oz when I was there. But as an attention expert, I'm obsessed with getting the world to pay attention because I believe that when we pay attention, Bob, companies make more money, our relationships are deeper, and we take care of the planet on which we live. And so clients often come to me because they say things like, Neen, there's never enough hours in the day, or there's so much to do, I don't even know where to focus first. And I can help fix that. I'm like the energizer bunny for meetings. Meeting planners often describe me as that. But I think what's unique about me, Bob, is not just that I'm Australian, so I have a global perspective, but I also became an American citizen so I could have a local perspective. I'm the oldest of five. I sound like I'm five. And uh, (laughs) I've published nine books in the area of productivity and attention. So yes, I'm definitely obsessed with it. So I do want to talk about productivity, but I think before I get there, you do an awful lot of public speaking. You do lots of different things, books, public speaking. You have a course on your website. But there was one thing that struck me when I was doing my research. And it was, you know, when you look at two businesses side by side, sometimes it's very hard to tell the difference. And you have something on your website that you describe as the attention matrix. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't really dug into it, but I'm very, very intrigued to know more about it because it seems to get to the heart of the part, the question, who are you as a business or as a person? Can you tell me a little bit about that attention matrix? Absolutely. And all of our listeners, will make sure we put it in the show notes. You can go download the templates that I created for free on there, or I can even do it for you. So there's different options that are available to people, Bob. When you think about this question that we often get asked, so what do you do? It could have been when we were at networking events or when we are speaking in front of a room of people or on our LinkedIn profile or in our social media bios. Constantly people are asking us, to articulate what we do. The challenge is, Bob, that 
we need to be able to have a technique that can not only capture someone's attention, but keep it. And that's the key. Now, we've heard over the years people need elevator pitches. I don't know about you, Bob, but I've never done business at an elevator. So I think that whole idea is crazy. But we do need the ability to capture someone's attention, build our credibility in the mind of that particular conversation, but also articulate how we add value in the world with the the things we do. Thought leaders, especially when they're trying to showcase their intellectual property, need to be able to give language to explain not the old just features and benefits. That's fantastic. But there's a place where we have to really be able to articulate what problem do you solve for people? And if you can say that quickly, If you can use language that really appeals to the person you're talking about, that you're talking in their language, in a way that serves them, that's how you grab their attention. The ability to keep their attention is through what I've called planned spontaneity. So the templates that are on the site help you create your own attention matrix. And in actual fact, I opened with an attention matrix. People just didn't realize that's what I was doing. So I think that we need to spend time articulating the value we deliver. And it could be, for example, Bob, you're doing a big sales pitch of your product. It could be that you're looking for a new job. It could be that as you're listening to this, you want a promotion within your organization. The attention matrix is the framework that was developed to be able to help articulate that value. That was very detailed. I was I was listening to that thinking, I'm never gonna keep all this in my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm quite an unruly thinker and yeah I think I need to go and have a look at this myself because it doesn't really matter who you are or what you do having a clear understanding of your value and how you can communicate that to other people is going to be the thing that separates you from everyone else because so few people do that I make lots of businesses that honestly they have no way of distinguishing themselves mm. or communicating what they do other than a bullet list of products and services and maybe a a bit of ancillary branding so really getting tactical about communicating that is really important and think about bob when people are scrolling online they need to be able to understand immediately what you do you know it's i often say uh, i help people listen with their eyes and the simple phrase listen with your eyes is part of a signature story that I tell on stage it's part of my book attention pays and you know my whole body of work is around productivity and attention so what I needed to be able to do was develop frameworks that helped other people do that when you think about the way we show up in the world whatever you're choosing to do whether you're a creator a consultant a thought leader when you're listening to this whether you love the in-person or you prefer the digital because people are scrolling through life they're scrolling through social media they're scrolling through websites we need to quickly grab their attention this is a framework so bob One of the things I love about creatives or people who don't think in a linear way is that you have this massive amount of fabulous ideas. This framework gives you the opportunity and a tool to present them in a way the world understands. I really like that. Something else that you mentioned, and I'm quite keen to go into this. We spoke about this the other day, um, was the idea of planned spontaneity. Mm -hmm. Can you maybe dig into that a little bit? Because that's something that intrigues me a lot. When you think about the way we communicate, very often we're quickly pressing send, we're tweeting, we're DMing, we're 
we're very quickly just thinking, we're, we're not even thinking, we're communicating just kind of like almost just like vomiting up whatever we think about and then it goes out into the world. Planned spontaneity is the idea that when you do the work in advance, it looks very spontaneous in the moment. For example, the attention matrix is a tool for planned spontaneity, meaning you do the work, you detail the particular elements of the attention matrix. People can download it on the site and they can answer the questions, right? Once you have the answers to those questions, Anytime you find yourself in a situation, you have these beautiful words that you've spent time working on. So you've done the planning, but in the moment it looks spontaneous. So parts of the attention matrix include your background, the role you call yourself, a great metaphor for yourself. There's lots of things people can explore in the matrix. But when you do the work in advance, Bob, what it does is allows you to look very calm, very controlled, very on point in the moment. This is especially important with speaking. One of the things that I always encourage speakers to do, and as you know, that's one of my largest profit centers in my practice. When you see a speaker on stage, it's not uncommon when I get off stage, when I used to be on stages, uh, it, people would come up and say, oh my gosh, you know, that story really impacted me or what you said changed my life or oh my God, that looks so easy. I want to be a speaker just like you. And it's supposed to look easy, Bob. I'm supposed to make it look so easy. But what people don't know is for that 45 or 75 minutes on stage, there are hundreds of hours to make that story look so spontaneous. There's hundreds of hours of preparation. The work is when I get on stage, it should look seamless. It should look like a chat. It should look easy. It should look fun. But to look so spontaneous, I have to have done the work in advance planned spontaneity. I really like that. And I can see how it can be useful the whole way across the spectrum from an Instagram story to public speaking to TV appearances and, and, and um, all kinds of things. I can see so much value in that. So yeah, I'm going to make commitments. I am going to have a look at this. Uh, attention Good, I love that. It answers, it answers so many questions for me. Thought leaders need to be able to speak in memorable phrases. When you think about throughout history, famous authors, speakers, thought leaders, uh, politicians, they've established memorable phrasing. One of my most memorable phrases is called listen with your eyes. We have these signature phrases that we use. Great creators spend time creating memorable phrases. Now, sometimes you just on fire and you're on stage or on an interview and you say this great thing and you're like, oh, that's good. I must remember that. But one of the things that differentiates phenomenal speakers is those who have memorable, repeatable phrases. And to create memorable, repeatable phrases around your intellectual property requires planning. Great comedians look so calm when they stand up and do their bit. But we all know great comedians, some of the hardest working people on the planet, they have spent show after show after show after show just trying to get that one minute bit, that five minute bit. One of the best things I ever saw on this, Bob, was Jerry Seinfeld. It's super, super old. It was on YouTube. I don't even know where it is in the world now, but it was on YouTube when I saw it. It's very old. But it's tracking him even after he had the success of Seinfeld, even after he was, you know, made lots and lots of money. He was still going back to clubs in the basement of some horrible little place in some tiny little town. Maybe he was in New Jersey, but he was every night out there practicing what he called his bit. 
That looks so spontaneous when he's on stage, but what he has done is he's poured hours into that one minute or that one bit, as he says. We have to work harder. We have to work harder to create memorable phrases that really impact the world. If you change your words, you change the world. We have this responsibility. I love that. And I would like now to talk about speaking specifically, because I think for a lot of people, if, if you want to level up the impact that you're having, whether that's online or offline, speaking at events is something that imbues your career with a little bit of, not a little bit, a lot of authority going forward. It allows you to expand your audience dramatically. Um, that aud- audience will meet you offline but they'll continue their journey with you online. And I think when we look at a lot of speakers, and you're, I understand, one of the most sought-after public speakers in corporate America right now, so you kind of know this. But what I'm really curious is we often judge speakers by what we see in the moment when they're on stage. And you've talked about the amount of work it takes to put together a good, engaging piece of work on stage. But again, we still judge what we see today we don't understand the journey those people have taken to get to where they are so i'm curious to know from you sort of stick yourself on a time machine go back five or six years what was that looking like for you how did you go from corporate australia to speaking on some of the biggest stages in the u.s You know, it's funny because in corporate, one of the things I realized very quickly, Bob, is if you wanted to get promoted, you had to be able to get things done. And when I watched people, I was, I could see they were the ones leading the projects, speaking at the team meetings. And so very quickly, I realized that if I could get things done and I could help others understand how to get things done, then I would be able to move ahead in my career. And so then one of the things that I focused on was how do I reverse engineer everything? So for example, I was very good at getting things done, leading projects, managing people. And so I would then reverse engineer that and teach others to do the same. What that meant was I was often being asked in my corporate career to speak to the board, speak at the all hands meeting, speak at the annual retreat. And so I loved being on my feet. I loved speaking. I loved training. I loved leading meetings. What I didn't know, Bob, is that's an actual career. And someone said to me, I was in a very senior exec role in Australia, and I went to a program. It was actually a time management program, go figure, which is stupid because you can't manage time. Uh, But the person who was facilitating it said to me, Neen, you could be a speaker. And I remember looking at him. His name was Mike. And I was like, Mike, can you make any money doing that? (laughs) There's a whole industry, Bob. I had no idea. So when I left corporate Australia, I started my own company. One of the first things I did was get uh, affiliated with the National Speakers Association of Australia. There's even an industry for speakers. Can you imagine conferences where all the people attending are speakers? Oh my gosh, so much hot air in that room. (laughs) It's amazing. But the National Speakers Association of Australia is where I learned about the business of speaking and the art of speaking. In the US, there is the National Speakers Association. In the UK, there's the Professional Speakers Association. So all over the world, there are people who gather. And so what I want people to consider is that speaking is just a modality to deliver your intellectual property. So as a thought leader, as a consultant, 
assistant. Uh, you can be a speaker, an author, a mentor, a facilitator, a trainer, or a coach. There are so many ways to show your intellectual property in the world. This is just my favorite modality. It can also be very commercial, right? So when I started, my first speech was appalling. I'm so embarrassed for myself, but everyone's <laughs> so got to start somewhere. Oh my gosh, it was crazy. And I remember how much I was paid and my lordy, like that was just a completely different time. But honey, I've been doing this for 18 years now. And so I'm supposed to make it look so easy on stage that anyone could do it. But that is years and years and years of really good speeches, really bad speeches, of all the craziness that is associated with the profession. But one thing that people need to consider is maybe you don't want to be a professional speaker, but you want to use speaking as a modality to accelerate your intellectual property. So you could use it as a marketing distribution strategy, speaking as an expert at your industry conference, being a guest speaker on a panel to elevate a conversation, doing videos and sharing those through your digital marketing strategy. Speaking is a phenomenal way to show the world what you believe, what you've got experience in, how your perspective can help change things. People need to hear your intellectual property. They need your opinion. They need your thoughts. But if you can package it in a way that makes it easy for people to apply to their everyday lives, that's commercial success. So it's not just about telling an audience what you think. It's about showing an audience how what you are sharing can apply to their lives. I think a question I have is, for example, if, if you're doing a weekly YouTube video, then it's quite straightforward. You can kind of cherry pick lots of different ideas and you can experiment with them. When you're investing a hundred hours into preparing a flagship talk, how do you pick that one big idea? How, what, do you have a process for that? Yeah, there's a phenomenal expert you definitely need to see if you can get on your show. A lady by the name of Tamsin Webster. She is the idea whisperer. This is a woman who has developed this phenomenal process called the Red Thread, and she helps people come up with their big idea. And I've hired Tamsin. She's a genius. She's one of my dearest friends now. But I've always admired her process. Really phenomenal speeches have been built. They don't just wing it. I get so insulted when people say, oh, I'm just going to go on stage and wing it. Don't you dare do that to your audience. It's so disrespectful. If you have the privilege of standing on a platform, you better do the preparation. And so I believe in investing with people who are even better at this than me. But where my career started, Bob, was I had the privilege of learning under the mentorship of Matt Church. Matt Church to this day is still my favorite mentor, one of the greatest thought leaders on the planet and years and years and years ago when I stepped out of corporate he was back then my gosh uh, one of the top 20 speakers in the Australasia region and to this day is still a phenomenal speaker but what I was able to learn from Matt was not just his phenomenal delivery on stage but was this ability to capture our intellectual property in modules that you could then share with an audience. And so working with him as his little kind of mentee, I guess, we developed a lot of different processes that we then taught others on how to capture their intellectual property and share. Most big ideas take on average in a speech about 15 minutes to unpack. And so if you think about 
being able to show an audience an idea, you need to help set up for them the sort of problems that their experiences or challenges and speak their language so they're open to listening to the potential solutions you might be able to provide for them. And so there is a process in every good speech, in every idea that is shared that allows people to understand, okay, here's the problem. My particular goal is this. And then what solution can you provide to help me then take it into my everyday life so there's application? Every great speech is filled with phenomenal stories, with fantastic, repeatable, retweetable phrases so that when the audience leaves, they know exactly how they can apply it to themselves. It's all about the audience. My job is to stand in service of that audience and think to myself, what are the biggest challenges they face right now? What solutions could I share that might help make their lives better, quicker, easier, faster, whatever it is for that room? And my only job is to have a conversation in service of that room of people at that moment. So for me, I've modularized a lot of my intellectual property so that when I'm designing and customizing my speech for that room, it's specific to their needs. So on stage, Bob, it looks very much like I'm part of their team. But to do that, I have this process called BDA before, during, and after. There's an enormous amount of work that happens before I get on stage. That's a lot of interviewing, research. I actually pay researchers to help me with this as well so that I know their glossary of terms. I know the software they use in their company. I know the players. I've talked to some of their team members. So when I'm on stage, I can do shout outs. I know what charities they contribute to. I've done all the work so that when I stand on stage, I'm using their words, their language, their examples, and sharing case studies of their competitors to see how they are actually faring in their business. And so that's just the work that happens before I get on stage. During the state, the speech, it's interactive, it's fun, it's practical. I always bring someone out of the audience and bring them on stage with me and have a lot of fun and it's high risk, but it's high return. And then there's a whole lot of things that happen after I speak, Bob. So it's not just about, I don't have a canned speech. I'm not that girl. There are speakers who've built their whole career on that and bless them for that. But for me, it's very much customized, but it's also very modularized. That's planned spontaneity. I've done so much work on so many modules. I can find the best module for that audience to serve them in that moment. I love it. That makes so much sense that you effectively have kits for building spontaneity. It's it's a really, really nice way of explaining that all your listeners have them too bob it's just maybe they haven't thought about it before one of the things we talk about is systems of attention and we have all these systems that we create with these systems in our life and we can also develop systems of attention if people listening started to think you know what's something your friends always ask you about or what's what's a process your clients always ask you about start to think about how would you teach someone else that particular process just that one module right and then what's the system that sits behind that People really want to learn how you think. If you can show people how you think, I I am so attracted to people's brains. I get so excited when people unpack for me how they got to a decision or why they do what they do. And so if you want to elevate conversations in your expertise, show people how you think. Show them your system. Help them to apply that same system to their lives and you'll be valuable. I love that. Something I want to understand from you, I guess, is you get a lot done. And for a lot of people, they get so stuck in busy work, they never really 
grow their business. They mm. never really get themselves in front of new opportunities because they're so busy a lot of the time dealing with other pri- other people's priorities rather than what's actually going to move them forwards. So this whole thing of overcoming inertia is is clearly something at least to an extent you have got nailed down. <laughs> <laughs> let me so, let me give people the system for that though, Bob, because I think we overthink this whole idea. Right now people are overwhelmed, they're overstressed, they're overtired. My goodness, at the time of recording they're over COVID. And so what happens is to your point, that can be very paralyzing as well. So one thing I want people to consider is the simplest thing, and that is what we call the 15 minute system. If you are procrastinating, if you are thinking I'm just not getting anything done, or you get to the end of the day and you've crossed nothing off your to-do list, I want you to consider a 15 minute system. And here's how this works, Bob. I want people to invest 15 minutes at the top of every day. And what I'd like you to do is have a strategic appointment with yourself. Identify your three not negotiable activities. So before your head hits the pillow tonight, what are three things you absolutely must get done? And then I'd like you to write them down. One of the things that's very powerful in the way that our brain works is our brain craves completion. You and I were sharing this in the uh, program we did together recently. And that is that every time we ask our brain to do something, Bob, it's like opening a new tab on your computer. I wonder how many tabs your listeners have open right now. And so our brain is craving that sense of completion. Every time we write something down and we take the opportunity to cross it off, when you cross it off, your brain feels safe. Your brain gets excited. Your brain gives you a little shot of dopamine, a little happy drug and says, yay, you, well done, like a little high five from your brain. And so the art of spending 15 minutes every day in a strategic appointment with yourself identify your top three not negotiable goals that will get you closer to the bigger goals that you're working on let's start there let's start small let's just spend 15 minutes deciding what you're going to do this is called prioritizing your priorities so that Mm -hmm. you feel like your day is powerful that you are taking back your time Look, we're not going to be uber productive every minute of the day. That's reality. But what we do need to choose to do is we need to choose to take control of our time. You can't manage time. That's stupid. Time's going to happen whether you like it or not. You and I both get 1,440 minutes in a day. You can't manage time, but you can manage your attention. The 15-minute system is the answer to that. I love that. And that's something you went into a bit deeper in Chris's masterclass and I made a lot of notes and it's, it's something I found very, very helpful. So I guess what I'd like to understand from you is sort of moving from the things that you do really well and looking at where does Neen James actually struggle? Oh, how much it's time maybe not, do we maybe have maybe not a very podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Just I'm always very interested in this question when you have people that are clearly successful, clearly excelling. I think somebody said to me recently, if if your business will only grow when you grow, and this applies to everybody, no matter what stage of business you're at, I think anybody who feels they've got it nailed down is probably going to find that things stop growing for them quite soon. Sorry, I'm, I'm rambling, but I am curious to know what holds you back? You know, just because I talk about attention doesn't mean I've mastered attention. I think we often, we joke often in the speaking industry, you teach what you need to learn the most. 
I'm constantly working on myself and my attention because what I realize is once the time is spent, I don't ever get it back. And so I have to make the most of the moments. So I've had to implement a lot of systems in my own life, Bob, to ensure that I get everything done. For example, one of the things I shared as part of Chris's uh, masterclass was that I use a daily tracker. The daily tracker is an analog system. Now I've tried every app planner, you name it, I've tried it and none of them worked for me as far as being able to feel like I was getting more things done. And it's not just about writing things on a list across the math. I feel like we have to be more uh, aware of different elements of our life. And so I designed this daily tracker that allows me to advance my goals in a number of areas. Every day it focuses on spiritual, financial, physical, relational, and emotional goals, and educational goals. And so what this does, this checklist of sorts, is something that I commit to every day because what I didn't want, Bob, is I didn't want to be the person who worked really hard but didn't play. I didn't want to be the person who had phenomenal success on stage but was physically unwell. Uh, In my business, I have to stay incredibly strong because most weeks I would run between airport gates. And I always joke that the moment I couldn't run between connections and an airport, I had to retire because my business requires physicality. So I have to spend time taking care of my physical health, my spiritual health, my mental health. I have to constantly be educating myself and reading and absorbing information and elevating my intellectual property. What do I struggle with? Honey, I, like so many people listening to this, am trying to lead a lifestyle that encompasses all of those things. And so that's why the daily tracker helped me so I could start to really make sure every day I send a love note to someone just to appreciate them and share the recognition for someone. Every day I promote someone. There's always an opportunity to make a referral or talk about someone on social media. Every day I make sure I read something that's going to help my brain and fuel things. Every day I move my body. Every day I meditate. These are things I work on. I am a massive work in progress, just like everyone listening to this. (laughs) So I'd like to ask you about your books, because whenever I meet somebody that's written books, I'm always impressed, number one, because that does require an awful lot of attention and dedication. And I understand, not having ever done it, it's a ton of work. But I also have to ask, because again, as an authority builder, whether you're thinking online or offline, it's a huge marker. If you've written a book, you clearly know what you're talking about. So what process do you use for that? Do you have a process? How do you get from an idea to a finished book? It's just a mystery to me. Bob, it's my belief everyone has not just a book in them, but they have a series of books. Every person on this planet could write a series of books. Not everyone has the discipline to take it to execution like that. But one thing that I want listeners to think about, if you've always had a desire to write a book, start small. Start by writing a daily update on social media. Start by publishing uh, an article every week on your expertise. Start considering thinking about a white paper that extends that expertise and has more case studies and evidence to support it. Then start to think about how could that be a great speech? And that great speech, could that be transcribed? And could you start to then think about a series of speeches or a series of programs? My very first book, not my best book, but my very first book was really a compilation of all of the articles I had written about productivity. And so I think, Bob, the discipline is actually 
putting it to paper or putting, you know, from your brain to your fingers to your keyboard. So one thing people could consider is if you've written some articles, start to curate those articles, start to look for common themes in those articles because common themes become chapters, chapters become books. The way that I write is maybe not the same as everyone else, but I believe in cataloging our intellectual property. Each idea is a standalone piece of intellectual property. You start to see that there are common themes in your IP or your intellectual property. You start, and I believe everything needs to be showcased with what I call a contextual model. Contextual models uh, is the ability to help people see your idea. If they can see your idea, they can hear your idea. If they can hear your idea, they can share your idea. And so every book I've written has a contextual model in it. And that's the premise of the whole book. So I'm different to most authors. I start with a contextual model. I start one of my books, Folding Time, which I'm happy to donate to everyone listening. Bob, I will give you a link where people can download the book for free. The first thing I want people to see is on page 27, I designed the contextual model first, and then I wrote the book to support the model. Attention Pays, my latest body of work, I designed the model first. And so the research is what helps me create the model. The model helps me articulate the components of the model, and that becomes chapters. Chapters, as I said, becomes a book. So when I write a book, it's probably different to most authors. One easy technique that is a fantastic, easy way to start writing a book is every idea you have, pop it on a post-it note. Put your post-it notes on the wall, start to organize the thoughts together. As I said, those organized thoughts become chapters, chapters become a book. So I want people to start small, an idea on a post-it note, a tweet, an article, a white paper. Look at all the intellectual property you already have. Chances are, if you curated some of the things you've already put in the world, you, honey, might have a book, you just didn't realize it. And then work with professionals to make it work and shareable in the world. Most self-published books, especially the first one, they're not always great, but this is why you need to invest. If you're going to share your intellectual property with the world, do it in a way that is really on brand for you and is very congruent with what your goals are. Not everybody needs a book, but a book will differentiate you from your competitors. It will show the world you've got the discipline and that your ideas are able to be curated. One of the reasons speakers benefit from having books is often when I serve an audience, a ballroom of people, they want to take me home with them. So, so many of my clients buy, you know, a thousand, five thousand copies of the book, whatever it is, to give to the members in the room. So I can then, I love being able to sign their books at the end of the speech, take selfies with them, and then they've taken a little bit of you home with them. Whether they read the book or not, I don't know. But what I do love is they feel more connected to you because they have you on their bookshelf. What I also know to be true, Bob, people don't throw out books. They throw away business cards. They throw away tchotchkes. They throw away the stuff, but they don't throw away books. And if they do, they didn't deserve them in the first place. (laughs) I'm a big fan of donating books. I'm a big fan of reading a book and gifting it back into the world. So very, I'm, I'm sitting here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven books are sitting on my desk that have asked me, the authors have asked me to blurb their book. So what that means is they want me to endorse their book. And so I get galley copies of books often where people send them to me and say, hey, can you write something about my book? 
And so I love being able to read people's books, write reviews for them, publish it on Amazon, and then blog about it or do a video about it and then gift it to someone else. So the only books I, and I used to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books in my old house. And then when we moved, I just set them all free. And I only kept the ones that I absolutely <laughs> love. So I gave a lot of them away. And there's always people who will take donations for books. So we don't ever throw away books, but you can absolutely gift a book to someone else. One of the things I, I love about your bookshelf, this is how much attention I pay, is all the books are in order of color. Which I thought, <laughs> yes, that looks fantastic. I've done that for years. It's so funny because I, I'm very visual. Like if you could look at my desk right now at the time of recording, I have all my pink files lined up, all my yellow files lined up. My pink files are all the clients that I'm mentoring. My yellow files are all the speeches that I have outstanding. And so I color code my life, Bob. It's an attention system that I've put in place. The appointments in my calendar are color coded based on the activity, which matches the folder. So all of the pink uh, appointments in my calendar are the mentoring executives I'm working with, all the yellow. So what I do is I color code everything. And so my bookshelf is color coded because it's visually appealing and in a world where we're doing so much virtual people are in my home with me now so when I'm speaking instead of being in a ballroom with people they're in my home in Tampa Florida and so they see my office and so it has to also look beautiful as well and so when you think about the power of color and attention if you have an all white room white lounge white marble floor white walls and you have one red rose in that whole room the one thing that gets your attention is that beautiful red rose. So we can use color as an attention grabbing technique as well and to help manage our own attention when we associate colors with activities. I love it. I think so. the last thing I would like to ask you about is what a good customer fit looks like. Because in your career, what was a good customer fit 10 years ago is probably quite different to what a good customer fit looks like now. Your clients from your website range from Cisco, Comcast, Viacom, Reuters, big names. But that won't always have been the case. But how do you identify right now what is a good prospect? How do they typically come to you? And again, how intentional are you about the customers that you want to work with? One of the beautiful things about creating the attention matrix, Bob, for our listeners is that very quickly you need to be able to identify who's your avatar or who's the person you want to hang out with, who's the person that you will spend time with? Who's the person you will leave your family to invest in? In my case, I choose to leave my family, get on planes and fly around the world to stand in front of audiences. And I have to really enjoy those people. So the first thing that people need to think about is who are the people that you would love to spend time with, even if you weren't being paid? Who will you literally leave your family to spend time with? Because that helps then decide the kind of person you want to hang out with. Bob, I'm a corporate girl. I grew up in corporate business. I love corporate business. I love being part of a team. The benefit of having a corporate background is I understand corporate. I understand politicking. I understand succession planning. I understand how to run KPIs and objectives. I know the world. I love the world. I miss being a corporate girl. So being able to serve corporate makes sense to me. But if you have a passion for academia and you love serving kids on campus and you love being part of faculty, then academia is more suitable for you. What I find, Bob, is there's certain 
industries that I gravitate towards because I love those people. I do an enormous amount of work in media companies. I do an enormous amount of work with luxury travel and hospitality. These are things I personally love. And so being with those leaders is energizing to me. So when I'm looking at the clients I want to serve, I need to make sure our values are aligned. The first thing that I look at is what do they stand for? And I get approached all the time about all sorts of kind of different brands that I that maybe I would be a speaker for. But I always, always, always talk to the client and to my team and say, is this a fit? Because my client list is an extension of my brand. And so I'm really proud to be aligned with those companies. But what people have to think about, I'm at a point in my career where I have the luxury of choice. When we start out, we don't always have that luxury. And so we're trying to pay our mortgage or put our kids through college or pay for our health care. We all have very different reasons while we work. I'm at a point in my career where I'm really fortunate to choose the kinds of people I want to play with. And so I think for me, I love corporate. I love associations. I love certain industries. So for me, it makes sense to work with certain verticals. When people are listening to this, think about the vertical you come from. So for example, if you had a career in banking, maybe it makes sense to go and work with bankers or credit unions, which is just a tiny little tweak, a little pivot from banking. So one thing that I've always chosen to do in building my career, Bob, is I go very, very high. So I work with a very senior leader in an organization, and then I go very, very deep. So if I go and work with the executive leadership team of a major media company, I work with them and then I work with all of their leaders and then I work with all of their leaders and that's how I've built my practice. Go in right. high and go deep. I love that. That's a very, very detailed answer and I think very helpful to anyone that's listening. Neen, I'm looking at the time. It's probably time for breakfast for you soon. <laughs> so thank you very much. I guess what I'd like to close with is my signature question and that's what's one thing you do now that you wish you'd started I would normally say five years ago, possibly longer. What, 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 what would that be for you? We should focused on email marketing. Um, people talked about list building from the moment I, you know, left corporate business. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And I was like, I'm not interested in that. And gee, I wish I had. Uh, I have had the privilege of working with a legend. Uh, he might be a great person to have on your show, Bob, called Michael Barber. Michael Barber is the king of email marketing, and he and I have been working together now. He has become a phenomenal friend. He's a genius speaker. I remember sitting in the audience, Anne Handley runs, also a phenomenal person to get on your show. She is She's like my girl crush when it comes to marketing. She runs a phenomenal organization called Marketing Profs and does a huge event. I sat, I was the keynote for Anne, but I sat in Michael Barber's email marketing session with my mouth open. I literally didn't understand half of what he said. I couldn't write fast enough. He is genius. So I hired him to help me with my email marketing and it totally changed the game for me. So I think if you are at a point in your business, no matter where you are, whether you've been in your business for one month or one year or 10 years, really being able to think about how do you want to stay connected to people who want to hear from you? The challenge with social media platforms, Bob, is that someone else owns that real estate. Twitter can close down tomorrow. We've seen this with social media that certain platforms can go away. So if you're trying to build your platform on someone else's real estate, that's not valuable to you. But your email list, the people that you communicate with on a regular basis, 
You own that list. They're your people. It doesn't matter how big that list is if they're engaged. And so I yeah. wish I had done that earlier in my career. I wish I'd got more serious about it. And oh my God, I wish I'd met Michael Barber many, many years ago. But he has been an absolute key to the communication elevation with my audiences. And I've really enjoyed watching that. I think that's a fantastic answer. And I know from my experience that I've had people on my list for nearly a decade before they actually decided to become a customer. Mm. You really can't take anything for granted with email marketing. No, it is I, the one thing. Oh my God, I had someone reach out to me just the other day and they said, you spoke for us nine years ago in the basement of a hotel in New York. And I was like, okay. And, and she was like, and I've been on your newsletter list ever since. And I just didn't have the budget to bring you in. But now I'm in a position where I do and I want you to keynote our opening uh, you know, be our opening keynote speaker at our big conference. It was one of my favorite events this year. You never know. No, absolutely. And on that note, if people want to connect with you, how would you like them to do that? Well, the fortunate thing for me is there's only one Neen James in the world. So if you Google me, you'll <laughs> find me. But if you really want to see my adventures, follow me on Instagram. If you want to know more about the attention matrix that you and I have been chatting about, go to neenjames.com. If you have a look on the series tab, you'll see it there. And Bob, I will share some resources for our listeners so you can pop those in the show notes. Awesome. Neen James, you've been a fantastic guest. I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for getting up early. Yeah, and I hopefully get to meet you in person one day quite soon when all this current nonsense is over. No, oh, it was an absolute privilege to serve. Thank you for everything you're doing in the world to make it an even better place, especially for people in digital marketing. I love systems, but the bigger the system, the more potential there is for fiddling rather than taking action. And that's why I love Neen's approach. Everything is bite-sized and everything is moving you towards action. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe. And if you haven't already, then join our Facebook group. You'll find a link in the show notes or visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. I would love for you to connect with me on social media. You'll find me wherever you hang out. Just search at Bob Gentle. And if you do connect with me, message me, let me know so I can follow you back. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love for you to review it on iTunes or whichever player you use. It means a lot to me and it's the best way to help me reach more subscribers. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks again to Neen for giving us her time this week and to you for listening. And see you next week.